Y'all, when our first son, Mason, was born, uh, Jennifer and I were, we were about as prepared as we could be. We had attended the classes and read the books and Google searched, you know, all the scenarios that we could think of. But there's only so much you can prepare, right? Because every child is unique. Every child has unique cries and unique needs and concerns and dietary, you know, issues and health issues and, and, and sleep schedules, right? Every child's different. And so we learned very quickly that our preparation was lacking and you just have to learn a lot on the fly. A lot of you know that to be true because you've been there. But after a little while, we kind of figured our son out. You know, we kind of figured him out. So when our second son, Caleb, was born, we had this very blissful, ignorant kind of cockiness about us. We're like, we, we've done it once, we can do it again. We know the drill. We, we've been there, we've done that. But then Caleb was his own child too, with all his own sleep patterns and, and health concerns and his cries that sounded different and meant different things and all the stuff that comes along with babies because they're all different, right? Y'all, I can remember one moment of despair. I, I got on the internet and ordered something called Baby Merlin's Magic Sleep Suit. Uh, these, are, these are weighted pajamas that are designed to hold the baby's arms and legs down while they sleep so they don't startle and wake themselves up, because that was an issue. Uh, we spent $50 on these pajamas, y'all, and I paid for overnight shipping. That's how badly we wanted to sleep. <laughs> and I can remember putting these pajamas on him, and as soon as, as, soon as I zipped him up, his arms did this. I, he, he was too strong. He was impervious to the magic of Baby Merlin's magic sleep suit. Um, see, we, I, 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 it, I, it occurred to me, I can't figure them out. They're beyond figuring out, right? Uh, every parent knows that. Babies are needy, but they're helpless. They're loud, but they're incoherent. And so for us as, as parents we come up against our own understanding of limits and needs and helplessness. It would be awesome if we could discern everything and, and solve everything, but we, we can't. And uh, That's why about a week or two after giving birth, the parents become helpless and loud and incoherent too, right? Um, y'all, as we've studied through Romans 8, one of the most stunning announcements the Apostle Paul has given us it relates to our relationship. It pertains to our relationship with God. Paul says, by faith in Jesus Christ, we become children of God. And I'm going to show you real quickly, as a refresher, verse 15. This is from Romans 8. Uh, by faith in Christ, here's what happens to us. Paul says, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. What Paul is saying, we are God's children in the truest and most intimate way. We call God what Jesus called him, Abba, which means Daddy. And so for God to give us this image, for God to paint himself for us as a father to children, it's meant to speak volumes about the nature of this relationship. The care and concern, the provision, the protection, the intimacy, the closeness, all of the things that God is to us through Christ, we now see it and we can appeal to him as our father. Now, there is a careful distinction, though, because I'm a father, right? 
And so maybe it helps me to understand God as Father, but I'm not like Him. All right? That's why we call God our Heavenly Father, because He is different than us. I have limits. I, I lack knowledge and wisdom. I need sleep. And I'm a sinner. I cannot be for my children the, the perfect moral example that they need. I, I don't have that in me. But see, God has no such limits. When we look to God as our Heavenly Father, we look to Him as one who is perfect in glory and righteousness. A God who never sleeps and doesn't need to. A God who is constantly uh, looking upon us, uh, available to us, listening in, uh, drawing near. God declares the end from the beginning, which means that the promises He makes to us are certain. They are guaranteed. They will come to pass. He's a perfect Father. And so we can take comfort when we think about ourselves as children, and we don't like to think of ourselves as helpless and needy, as, as failing and suffering kinds of people. But when we recognize that as our reality, and that we have a perfect heavenly Father who loves us, then it ought to comfort us to know that we can come to Him, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, that applies to every area of life. But specifically for today, Paul wants to show us how it applies to prayer. That's our topic. That's our issue. It's prayer. Uh, This scripture for today, it's short enough that we could almost say it in one breath. So I'm just going to show you the whole thing before we go back and look at it in the particulars. This is verses 26 and 27. Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Uh, So the topic today is prayer. How would you describe your prayer life? Just answer that in your own mind right now. How would you describe your prayer life? Uh, There are some of us who pray with great uh, diligence and urgency and passion, uh, perhaps. But most of us, if we're honest, we struggle in prayer. And we feel guilty about that because for us, prayer seems like it ought to be Christianity 101. Right? Just the, the very basic, simple, easy stuff. That's prayer, right? And yet, for most of us, I know, certainly for me, it's a struggle. The fact that we pray very infrequently. And when we do pray, we're prone to distraction. We try to pray at bedtime, but we fall asleep. We intend to pray on our way to work, but we end up listening to a podcast or something else instead. We pray over our meals. Us in the South, we're usually pretty good about that. But oftentimes, it's just little kind of formulaic repeat-after-me prayers. It's not, we're not really praying. We're just doing what we know is, is right. Uh, we pray in church. Surely we do that every Sunday, but I know that our minds tend to wander, especially as we get closer to lunchtime. You know, we say that we'll pray for other people, but oftentimes we forget. Now, these are confessions of mine, by the way. These, this is, I'm, I'm not accusing, I'm just confessing that prayer for me, and I, and I know for most of us, prayer is a struggle. We're not as good, we don't pray as much as we know we ought. 
And so today, y'all, our goal today is not to solve all those problems, um, but hopefully we will enter into a fuller understanding and appreciation for what prayer is and how God works in prayer, and that might help solve some of these problems. Some of the smaller issues, some of the easier distractions we fall into, if we really understood what prayer is, uh, then maybe our hearts would be more inclined to it. Uh, and so we've got to get through some, some very common misconceptions in order to do this. Y'all, here's one of mine. See if you can relate. I tend to think that prayer is mainly about my words and my posture and my location and my requests. But if that's, what, if that's all I understand prayer to be, then I'm really missing the greater grace and the greater blessing and understanding of prayer. And that's what Paul, is, I think, is trying to show us here. Y'all, the context of these verses is suffering. If you were here with us last week, the verses that precede these are all about suffering, the fact that the whole creation groans and that we ourselves groan because the world is not as it ought to be, that we, uh, we are, are pained, that we suffer through the afflictions of life. Nobody gets missed. Nobody gets excluded. That's the context here. Life is hard. But we saw this last week. We are sustained... Uh, by the hope of glory that is secured for us in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit affirms that if we suffer with Christ, we will also be glorified with Christ. And so with that in mind, we look at the Scripture today, where Paul says, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. In the same way, that the Spirit gives us hope in our suffering, we saw it last week, He also gives us help in our weakness. The Spirit points us ahead to the great day when Jesus Christ will redeem us, but He also moment by moment helps us in the here and now. He helps us in our weakness. And y'all, this is a, this is a key point right up front. Our present weakness something that I mentioned a moment ago, we don't like to face, we don't like to confront and and acknowledge. But here's the truth about us, starting with me. It does not matter how smart and successful you are. It does not matter how many degrees you have earned. It doesn't matter how many friends you have. It doesn't matter how much sway you've got at your workplace or how much you can bench press or how great your mom thinks you are. The truth is, we are weak people, every single one of us. We are ignorant, we are sinful, we are subject to all of the the afflictions and suffering that this world has to offer. All of it. We are not stronger than that. We are weak. And if you just don't like to believe that, if, if, oh, other people are weak, but not me, If, if that's your mentality then I want to tell you up front, you're never really going to pray. If you don't see yourself as weak and needy, you can mouth the words, you can pray, but you're never really going to pray. Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is a posture of weakness and dependence and need. Why else would we do it? What else are we talking to God about? We're acknowledging that He is righteous and we are not. He is glorious and we are not. He is powerful where we aren't. 
Y'all, even when we thank him for the things we have, we sang a song, for the beauty of the earth, we're thanking God for these wonderful gifts. We're thanking him as the giver and we the recipient. He's the one who gives the good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. We're the needy ones. He's the giver, right? That's the posture of prayer. There is no prayer apart from understanding that God is strong and I am not. But y'all, this weakness is not something for us to be ashamed of. And so often that's the way we approach it. Weakness is bad. I don't want to be weak. But do you notice what Paul is saying here? That in our weakness, which is just a bare fact of reality, in our weakness, God gives us help. God knows that you're weak and he doesn't dismiss you. He helps you. He brings to you the capital H, helper. That is the the Holy Spirit. Um, Back in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this many times. On multiple occasions, Jesus is speaking with his disciples. And he promises them a helper. That's the word he uses. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away that I die and be raised and enter into glory. That's to your advantage. Because only then will I send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to you. And the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Isn't that an amazing promise? And Jesus goes through, of course, all the promises of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. He's a a person, by the way. He's not a power. He's not a force. But the Helper opens our eyes and leads us in truth. He gives us words to speak when we're hard-pressed and persecuted. He convicts us of our sin. He assures us of God's promises. He points us to the glory of Jesus Christ at all times and in all circumstances. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us even right now. That's why Paul says he helps us in our present weakness. All the things that we lack... All the circumstances that overtake us, the Holy Spirit is right there with us to help. And y'all, that word help, it literally means that he comes alongside to bear up with you whatever it is that you cannot carry on your own. Now specifically, you see verse 26, what does he help us with? He helps us in our prayers because we don't know how to pray as we should. Now isn't that the truth? Again, a hard thing for us to admit, Christianity 101, of course I know how to pray, but Paul says, no, we don't. We don't know how to pray as we should. We don't always know what to pray for, because we don't always know and understand the will of God. And y'all, this is especially true when we're suffering. Remember the, the larger context. When we're too weak, when we're too discouraged to know what to pray, or even to have the strength to pray, even if we're trying our best. Have you ever been there? I trust that you have. Uh, for, for our family in the past just handful of years, we found ourselves there uh, more often than we would choose, than we'd like, of not even knowing how to pray or what to say to God. Why, what do I even ask for in the midst of this pain? Um, we don't know how to pray as we should. Now, does Paul say that as an insult to us? No, he just says it as a bare fact. And not as an insult, not to say shame on you, but to say it's okay because we have help. Y'all, can I, a little, quick little rabbit trail here for a second. You know that God is not impressed with impressive prayers. God is not impressed with our impressiveness. 
I think a lot of times we have this mentality that my prayer has to sound just right and it has to involve the right words in the right way in order for God to hear it. But y'all, here's the, the truth is, as, as a pastor, if I stood up here today and, and, and I wrote out a very eloquent prayer with all the big, fancy, important words in it, and I prayed it with all my heart to get the, I'm praying the paint off the walls, y'all, I mean, just the best prayer of my whole life. Meanwhile, it's entirely possible that God's up in heaven with his fingers over his nose. If the desire of my heart was to impress you, God's not impressed. Right? The right words in the right way are not some sort of magic trick to get God to act on our behalf. That's not what prayer is for. And so we don't know how to pray. It's okay because God gives us help. Real prayer is not about your eloquence. Real prayer is not about approaching God in the proper and formal channels to make sure that your voice is heard. No, if we cry out, Abba, Father, that means we have an audience with God no matter what condition we're in, no matter what we say or how we say it. God is present and he's close. So let's just acknowledge it and live with it. We are weak. We don't always know what to pray, but we have help. We have help. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's the promise. That in our weakness, y'all, so often we don't really know what God is up to. We don't understand God's purposes when things are difficult. Uh, we're, we're, as a community, we're wondering about these floods right now. What's God up to right now? It doesn't seem like things are going so hot, right? We don't understand the will of God so often. We don't have the wisdom that we need in order to align ourselves with the will of God. And therefore, we lack strength. We lack confidence to know how to pray. We lack the words to speak. If you've never been there, if you've never had that be true of your life, then your day's coming. I just want you to know. We all find ourselves there sooner or later. And I think this is why we tend to go to formulaic prayers. We tend to just pray, repeat after me kind of prayers. Because then I can say the words. I don't have to really struggle. I can, I can feel like I've done it, um, even if I haven't really wrestled with God in prayer, if that makes sense. When I, back in my football playing days, after every workout, we'd put our hands into the middle and we'd pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we, literally, we would pray it just like that. Were we really praying? I was, of course. <laughs> but, I mean, no, we weren't praying. We were doing something as a matter of practice. It made us feel good. It seemed like a good and right thing to do. We, it was a formula. I hope after I do this, God will bless me today. But y'all, if, if, if what Paul is saying is true, we don't, res, we don't rest on formulas with God. And if we do, then we miss the amazing grace that God has to give us in prayer. You see what Paul promises. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. That means he comes in between you and God to be your helper and your strength to rescue and deliver. We've been reading through Deuteronomy in our Bible reading plan. Just finished chapter 5 the other day where Moses intercedes for Israel and they asked him for it. They said, don't let God talk to us. We'll die. That's how glorious and powerful he is. Moses, you go talk to him and then you tell us what he says. 
They're asking for an intercessor, someone to go between to help them. Paul says that's what the Spirit does. He comes between the Father and us to do for us and with us what we can't do on our own. And y'all, that same title, intercessor, that was given to Jesus, that's his title, as the one who came between sinners and a holy, righteous God to make intercession for us, to die on our behalf that we might be forgiven of our sins. And so Jesus sits in heaven right now and intercedes for us. All of our sin he continually covers by his grace. Paul says, look at this, the Spirit of God intercedes for us within our own hearts, moment by moment, each and every day. He's doing it right now. The Spirit is bringing you to the Father in a unique way that nothing else can accomplish. And he's doing it with groanings too deep for words. Now again, if you were here with us last week, you, you saw how Paul uses that word groaning. He says the creation is groaning, anxiously awaiting the redemption of God's children, the return of Christ. And he says, and we who possess the Spirit, we also groan within ourselves, anxiously, anxiously awaiting our redemption, the redemption of our bodies. Well, now, the, Paul says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, it's not totally clear who is doing the groaning right here. Is it us groaning, like in verse 23? Or is the Spirit doing the groaning? Uh, It's not totally clear. I tend to lean toward the Spirit as the answer to that question, but that we, we would miss the point if we got bogged down in the particulars. Because here's the bigger picture. The bigger point is when our words fail us, when our ignorance overwhelms us, we don't even know what to pray or how to pray or what God's will is, the Spirit of God is there. And He is communicating, He's translating, He's ministering to us, with us, for us. The Spirit is there. We have help. God has not left us to ourselves. And so if you've ever thought, man, I've got to pray the right words in the right way, or else God will not hear, God will not bless, God will not give me what I'm asking for unless I come to him in a particular way, this scripture dismantles that way of thinking. Why do you think Paul earlier says, we come to God adopted as sons and we cry out, Abba, Father. Cry? He's about to talk about suffering. And I think Paul gives us an indication of how sometimes it is with God. We don't always approach God and beseech Him for His many blessings. Sometimes we pray like that. That's fine. But sometimes we cry out, Daddy, because we know we have nothing to stand on if not Him. Like a child to a father, helpless and in need, trusting His deliverance and grace. When we come to Jesus Christ... We don't come to Him with pretense and formality. We come to Him as a fellow heir. He is our brother. That means God is our Father. And so when you pray, stop worrying about all the formalities. Not to say that we approach God in a casual, careless way. But if we approach Him as a Father, that means we have access. Stop putting layers in between that don't belong there. My lousy, sleepy, inarticulate prayers are still precious to God. My inaudible prayers, where I don't even have words to say, I don't know what to ask for. 
your weeping prayers where you can't gather up the, the strength to even make words come out. All you can do is cry out to God. He hears you and those prayers are precious to him because he's a father who loves you. The spirit intercedes. Don't worry about the formalities. Just go to him. And look at the promise that comes with it. Verse 27, And he, God who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know, God knows your heart. That is both a comfort and uh, perhaps a fear. Um, that means God knows your heart. God knows you deep down to the very, very bottom. Every single hidden thought, every sin, as well as every righteous desire. God knows it all. The weakness and the strength in my heart, God knows it. The wisdom and the foolishness, God knows it. Every single stitch of you is open to him. You know, that's why Jesus made this comment in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, when you pray, don't try to speak many words to impress God or to put God in your debt. Jesus says, because your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Isn't that amazing? Prayer is not information to God. We don't ever inform him of something he doesn't already know. He knows what you need before your mouth even opens up to speak. That means there's nothing in your heart, not one thing, that God is not intimately acquainted with right now. And if God knows your heart, and God knows the mind of the Spirit, then that tells us that God is working right now to bring continuity and unity to, to those things, right? God knows my heart. My heart is weak. My heart is ignorant. My heart is sinful. But God has also given me his very spirit, which means where I'm weak, the spirit is strong. Where I'm sinful, the spirit is righteous. Where I'm ignorant, the spirit is wise. Y'all, God has not left us alone. When God looks at your heart, and you know what's in your heart, he could easily just dismiss us outright. But he doesn't. He searches the heart, and he knows the mind of the Spirit, and he brings us into unity with himself so that we might be uh, those who live according to the will of God. Y'all, this is... Uh, I don't know how well I'm communicating this, but I hope it comes across as a breath of fresh air. I hope it comes across as a, as a broadening of our view of prayer, that maybe we had made prayer into something very formulaic, very much all about my words, my posture, my location, my requests only, and we miss the interceding work of the Spirit and the fatherly love of God. There's nothing about prayer that's formulaic and stale. It is a, it's an organic, relational, wonderful blessing that God is presently at work with right now. Um, that, that the Spirit brings us into the immersive love of God. That's, that's what prayer accomplishes. Even if we don't feel it, even if we don't know it, even if we uh, pray in, in very uh, infantile kind of ways, the Spirit is there to bring us to the Father, perpetually, constantly, powerfully. And, uh, and this, is, this is how Paul ends. I, y'all, the, I, I, I tend to skip over this where it says that the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Um, I've said this a minute ago, we don't always know the will of God. 
In fact, it may seem like we often don't know and understand the will of God, especially in our hardship, especially in our pain, that we don't understand what God is up to, what God is doing now, and what God will do on the other side of it. But the Spirit of God knows, and He comes to our aid, and He makes effective prayer on our behalf. And so in the midst of pain and hardship, Paul tells us what the Holy Spirit is doing. He secures our hope in Christ, and He helps us in our weakness. He points us to our guaranteed future, and He unites us to the will of God in the present, every step of the way. And so, y'all, we would say this, I hope, with with a fair amount of certainty. Uh, God has not left our future up to chance. Your salvation does not depend on your daily ability to maintain your standing before God. Your future is secure as his son or daughter, and it will come to pass. He has not left that up for grabs. Paul is also saying the same thing about our prayer. Even our prayers, God has not left up to chance. Even our prayers, if we stumble through prayer, if we're too weak to even know what to ask for, do you think God's up in heaven saying, well, when you figure it out, come back to me. I'll be waiting. No, the Spirit is at work even in those times, especially in those times, to bring us to the Father and to unite us to His will. And His will is good. We're going to see that next week. One of the triumphant scriptures in all the Bible. The good and perfect will of God that He gives to those who love Him. Uh, Y'all, we've been talking about prayer, especially prayer in hardship, prayer in despair and difficulty. And so I couldn't help but think about uh, maybe the most stirring prayer in all the Bible, something Jesus actually prayed the night that He was betrayed and then eventually put on trial and crucified. A very famous scripture. And I just I want to show you this. Um, this is from Matthew chapter 26, and, uh, and hopefully uh, close here with, um, with a powerful reminder of his grace. Look at this prayer of Jesus Christ. This is Matthew 26, verse 36. Jesus came with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And Jesus went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Um, there's, there's never been greater anguish and sorrow than, than what we just read. Uh, anything that you and I have been through, no matter how intense, no matter how awful, it can't hold a candle to that, to what Jesus experienced in the garden and y'all, I, you know, I've, I've made a, a big point today of the fact that we don't often understand and acknowledge and know the will of God, but Jesus surely did. Jesus did not enter into this time unaware of what was about to happen or what needed to happen. He knew God's will. He knew his purpose. Jesus had promised it already on multiple occasions. The Son of Man is going to suffer and die and then be raised again. He promised it would happen. He knew it would happen. He embraced it. That's why he came. 
But right here in the moment of truth, in the moment of agony, he asks for the cup to pass from him. And y'all, what, what the cup symbolizes is not his physical death. The cup is the judgment of God for sin. The cup is the wrath of God poured out for sin. That's the ultimate pain that Jesus knew he was about to enter into. The judgment that he would bear for the sake of sinners, for the sins of the world. And just the thought of drinking that cup, of bearing that sin, was enough to bring Jesus to his face in agony. He said to his disciples, I might keel over right now. I'm to the point of death already. That's how despairing he was. Luke said he was sweating blood. But you notice how the prayer takes shape. What does he say? Yet not as I will, but your will be done. Y'all remember this story uh, way back at the beginning of the Bible. There was a couple named Adam and Eve in a garden called Eden. They took of a forbidden fruit, the one thing God said not to do. They took it and they ate. And what was Adam saying in that moment? He didn't say it outright. But in the moment that Adam took of the fruit and ate it, he was saying to God, God, not your will, but mine. God, not what you say, but what I want. And that's, the, that's when sin entered the world, and that's the nature of all sin. You can put all sin under that same umbrella. Sin is me saying, God, not your will, but mine. Right? But here's what we just read. In a different garden... The Son of God says the opposite. Not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus Christ embraces the agony of his own destruction. Jesus Christ embraces the full measure of what God required in order to forgive sinners. The penalty of our judgment laid upon his shoulders on the cross. Y'all, Jesus Christ gave his life for you according to the will of God. The will of God is not your destruction and condemnation. The will of God is mercy and grace and forgiveness. That's why Jesus Christ died in your place. And then he was raised again and sent his Spirit. And what is the Spirit right now as I speak? What's the Spirit doing? Paul just told us the Spirit is interceding for you according to the will of God. The will of God is not your destruction, it's your salvation. The will of God is not to dismiss you in your weakness and leave you to yourself, but to intercede on your behalf because He loves you. That is His will. Especially when we're suffering. Especially when we're weak and we need Him the most. He is there on our behalf to help us. God has refused to leave us alone, even in the Christianity 101 stuff that we feel like we should have mastered a long time ago. In our prayer, in our weakness, in our foolishness and ignorance, in our despair, you name it, whatever it is, God says, I'm right here. And my spirit will bring you to the Father. And so we ought to, we ought to come to God with complete trust with complete trust, even when the words won't come, we know that God is present 
and that God is loving and that God is close. Because He is a Father who loves us enough to save us and to minister to us every moment in every need. We ought to pray more, not less, if that's true. And let's close on this. Y'all, if this is true, if the Spirit's interceding for me, and I say, well, he's doing all the heavy lifting, why do I need to pray at all? Then I've totally missed the point. No, y'all, if the Spirit is interceding, if the Spirit is at work in your heart right now, knowing the will of God and bringing you into his will moment by moment, then we ought to never stop praying. Because we have given access, we've been given access, we've been given relationship, we've been given grace beyond our ability to comprehend. Where we are weak, our Father is perfect and strong. Where we lack words, our Father still speaks to us and hears from us through the precious Holy Spirit he's given. So let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would translate. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a deep and perhaps very difficult scripture that requires clarity, that requires for us wisdom as to what the Spirit is doing right now. Um, Lord, even if we don't understand every detail, would you give us great comfort that what your Spirit is doing is good? That, Lord, you are communicating to us your, your great love? That, Lord, you are assuring us of your great promises? And Father, where we are are weak, where we are ignorant, where we are sinful, thank you that you have not dismissed us. Thank you that you have not um, handed us um, merely a book on prayer that we might learn it and repeat it. But you have given us your very spirit to indwell us, to pray with us and for us, to bring us into your perfect will. Um, Lord, would you encourage us where especially, Father, where we are suffering, especially where we are anxious or even despairing, that the ministry of your Spirit is vibrant and pure and wonderful, and Lord, that we do not take you for granted here. Father, save us from praying formulas and hoping that that that's enough. Save us, Lord, from trying to impress you or trying to impress others in how we pray. And Lord, bring us into real relationship. Abba, Father, that we might treat you the way that you've declared yourself to be, that we would treat you as as an intimate, loving, perfect daddy who delights to come near at all times, especially, Lord, in our weakness and need. And so, Father, Lord, broaden our understanding of prayer and make us want to come to you all the more 
Lord, knowing that you've made intercession, knowing that you've brought help, knowing that you love us enough to do this work for us when you didn't have to. Thank you. Thank you for this precious work of your Spirit. And Lord, let us, um, let us take full advantage of this gift that we've been given. Make us, Lord, a people of prayer. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.